Namaste Saraswati Deve Gorvani Pacharni Nivasesa Sindhavani Paskatyade Satani Vande Hamshi Guru Shi Utah Parakamala Shi Guru Nivashnivamscha Shi Rupam Sagrata Tam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Paritana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shi Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Ramita Shi Vishakam Vitamscha Banchakapati Vishaki Pasanivyavachapatam Pavani Gravashi Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya April 26, 2014, in Radha Desh, Belgium, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 6, Chapter 4, the Hamsa Guru Prayers, Text 48. Just put this a little in context. We have a parallel here. This is Lord Vishnu speaking to Daksha, who's going to, who has as his service to populate the universe. And we find a, a very strong parallel here between the Lord talking to Brahma also in the second canto, chapter 9, when he was going to populate the universe. We have in text 46, tapo me ridayam, whereas the Lord also says, of course, to Brahma, tapo me ridayam. He says, tapo me ridayam sakshat atmaham tapaso, that tapasya is my heart, tapasya is my very self, that I create everything by tapasya, both acknowledging the tapasya Brahma and here the tapasya of Daksha, and also indicating that it is through that tapasya that one will be able to do one's service. And then in yesterday's verse 47, aham evasam evagre, which of course is also the beginning of the chapter slope, that the Lord speaks to Brahma. So here again, the Lord is speaking the same thing to Prajapati Daksha, that I am the source of everything. It is only me that exists before the creation, during the creation, and after the creation. And just like uh, in the second canto, there's quite a description of the universe as the body of the Lord, that whatever service one does, it's in the sense that we're dealing with God himself directly, uh, with Brahma, particularly with creating, here with Daksha, with creating. And so that's what we're going on to in this verse, how the whole material cosmos is nothing but the energy of the Lord. It's nothing really but the Lord himself, especially in Guna Vigraha here. You can see in the second line. So Vigraha means form. And Guna? Qualities. Qualities. So that this whole material world is the form of the qualities of the Lord. So by meditating on this, one can do one's service with the, even in this material world, with the concept that I'm not exactly dealing with the material world, I'm dealing with the form of the Supreme Personality of God. And as we read the, through this verse of purport, I'm going to read this whole uh, quote a little later on, Krishna Willen. But I wanted to just start, as we, go, as we start to meditate on the verse, from a lecture Prabhupada gave on the Nectar Devotion in Vrindavan in 72, where he says, a devotee relishes a particular type of mellow or rasa in this material world. Those who are not devotees, they do not feel any relish from this material world. They feel for some time, but then it becomes stale. So that the Lord is giving here daksha, just as he gave to Brahma, the clue as to how one can do one duties in this world with rasa with taste, to not experience the world like a materialist, starting with tapome ridayam and ahame vasa evagre, and now to guna vigraha. Mayananta gune nante, gunato guna vigraha, 
Yadasi Tata Evadya Swayambu Sayambu Daja Possessing unlimited potency. Anante, unlimited. Gunataha, from my potency known as Maya. Guna Vigraha, the universe which is a result of the modes of nature. Yada, when. Asit, it came into existence. Tataha, therein. Eva, Eva, indeed, indeed. Adyaha, the first living being, being. Swayambhu, Lord, Lord Brahma, Samabhut, was born, born. Adyaha, although not from a material mother. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. I am the reservoir of unlimited potency, and therefore I am known as unlimited or all-pervading. By my material energy, the cosmic manifestation appeared within me, and in this, material, in this universal manifestation appeared the chief being, Lord Brahma, who is your source and is not born of a material mother. Purport. This is a description of the history of the universal creation. The first cause is the Lord himself, the Supreme Person. From him, Brahma is created, and Brahma takes charge of the affairs of the universe. The universal affairs of the material creation depend on the material energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is therefore the cause of the material creation. The entire cosmic manifestation is described herein as Guna Vigraha, the form of the Lord's qualities. I'll read that again. The entire cosmic manifestation is described herein as Guna Vigraha the form of the Lord's qualities. From the cosmic universal form, the first creation is Lord Brahma, 
who is the cause of all living entities. In this regard, Srila Madhvacharya describes the unlimited attributes of the Lord. Pratikaso gunanam tu nisimatvam urijite tadanan tvam tu gunatast che chananta hisankyaya atonanta guno vishnur gunatonanta evicha. Prastis Shaktir Vividaya Vishruyute. The Lord has innumerable potencies, all of which are unlimited. Therefore, the Lord Himself and all His qualities, forms, pastimes, and paraphernalia are also unlimited. Because Lord Vishnu has unlimited attributes, He is known as Ananta. Mayanta Gune Nante Gunato Gunavigraha Yadashti Tattai Evadya Swayambu Samambu Aja. I am the reservoir of unlimited potency. And therefore I am known as unlimited or all-pervading. From my material energy, the cosmic manifestation appeared within me, and in this universal manifestation appeared the chief being, Lord Brahma, who is your source and is not born of a material mother. So we are also in this line, just like Lord Brahma's son in the previous birth was Daksha. So Prabhupada says in, earlier in the Bhagavatam in the second canto, we in the Sampradaya of Lord Brahma, we're also in this line. We also have our service in, with the Lord. And if we do our service properly, what does Srila Prabhupada say the Lord will do? What did he do with Lord Brahma? He invited him to Vaikuntha, and he did what? Anybody remember? Shook hands with him with great satisfaction. Yes? Very good. And Prabhupada says we are all in this line, and we are also aspiring for this. That's what we're working for. The materialistic person, uh, they're working for recognition from the general public. That's what they want. They want their name in the history books, or they want a nice obituary, or... Yes? They want a big statue of themselves in the square of the city. Something. Or they want, you know, at their retirement party that everybody lists all of their accomplishments. That's what they're working for. They're working for a little lower level than that. They're working for a big house and lots of money and two cars and three dogs. and you know, That's the kind of thing a materialistic person is working for. But what are the devotees working for? The devotees are working for, thank you. Or I really like in the, what Jesus says in the parable of the talents where the master gives three servants three different amounts of money. One he gave one coin, one he gave five, one he gave ten. And the one who, to whom he gave one coin, he buried it in the ground. He thought, I have to keep this carefully, otherwise my master will come back and yell at me. And the one who had five, he doubled it, invested it, doubled it to ten. The one he had ten, he invested, I think he increased it to a hundred. And the master comes back. And the one who had buried the ground, the coin in the ground, he took that away. He said, you don't get anything. And the ones who had increased it, he gave them more. And he said, well done, good and faithful servants. So that's what we're, that's our reward. That Srila Prabhupada, the Acharyas, our spiritual masters, Krishna himself says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with you. I'm happy with what you've done. That's, that's the rasa that we're looking for, the pleasure of the Lord. Just like when Akura was going to Vrindavan, he was meditating how when he gets there, the Krishna will say, Akura, uncle! And Prabhupada writes there that if we're not aiming to be recognized by the Supreme Lord, our life is condemned. So how do we do this? How do we work in the world? This is one of the questions as I travel. There's like top five questions I get asked over and over and over and over and over again. One of them is, how do I be Krishna conscious at work? How do I be Krishna conscious at home? And generally we tend to see that, well, the way to be Krishna conscious, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur talks about this Madhuri with the indecision part of the Anista Bhajana Kriya, that we think, well, the only way to be Krishna conscious is I've got to, you know, quit my job, leave my family, right, go to Vrindavan, let that old Hare Krishna people film, so ironic, there's Rupanuga just after he took sannyas, you know, and he's there with his dandan, you don't have to take sannyas, shave your head or leave your family. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's very convincing. But we have this, this idea that the only way to be Krishna conscious is that I have to leave everything and, you know, sit in a Himalayan cave or sit at the bank of Radha and 
I can't possibly be Krishna conscious while I'm doing so many things. But here we find over and over again in the Bhagavatam, although it's true that at the end of life persons would go away from society, that we see over and over again with Vishnu talking to Hiradaksha and Krishna talking to Brahma, and of course Krishna talking to Arjuna, Mama, Nusma, Nujicha. And Krishna tells Arjuna also how you can see the Lord as the world and in the world. How do you do that? How do you mam anusmaram yujichar? This morning I was just uh, reading from the seventh canto about how uh, the Lord is impartial, that he's, he's actually making himself fully available to everyone. And Narada Muni was talking about that if you just meditate on the form of the Lord, even in enmity, and Narada Muni is so funny, he says the demons are, are actually better than, than me because they're so absorbed in hatred for the Lord that they're meditating more on the Lord than I am as his devotee. So somehow if we just meditate on Krishna, you think, well, how do I do that? You know, how do I meditate on Krishna when I'm doing the accounting? And how do I meditate on Krishna when I'm changing the, the diapers and nappies? And how do I meditate on Krishna when I'm driving the car? And well, I mean, we may even wonder, how do I meditate on Krishna when I'm managing the affairs of the Hare Krishna movement? You know? <laughs> and, and how do you do that? How do you be absorbed in the form of the Lord? Well, there's a little secret here. And that, the entire cosmic manifestation is described herein as the form of the Lord's qualities. The entire cosmic manifestation. So usually we do this a little differently. Usually when when we try to meditate on the Lord and the material energy, we start with the material energy and then think of how that reminds us of the Lord. So... I do that quite a bit, and I'm going to do this here now in reverse. We're going to start with the Lord's qualities, and then we're going to think about how those qualities of the Lord have taken the form of the material energy. Which, by the way, as soon as you meditate like that, is it the material energy? Right? So that's also in the Chatur Slok. Whatever appears to be of value, if it's without relation to me, has no reality. Know it to be my external energy, that reflection which appears to be in darkness. So what is maya? Maya is the conception that something is separate from Krishna. That's all maya is. In the 14th chapter of Krishna book, Prabhupada says, maya exists only within the mind. Now that energy that allows us to think that something is separate from Krishna is also Krishna's energy, which is pretty amazing. So the ability, the ability to forget Krishna is also Krishna. So as soon as you think this has nothing to do with Krishna, that ability to have that thought and that feeling is also Krishna, so you just can't get away from it, you know. (laughs) Might as well relish it, as we were reading earlier, that the devotees can relish the material world. Because they're not in maya. They're not trying to relish it separately from Krishna. As soon as you try to relish it separately from Krishna, then Prabhupada says it becomes stale very quickly. But when you try to relish the world as Krishna's qualities, then Prabhupada's saying you're actually tasting rasa. Okay, so let's look at some of the qualities I've written down far more than we're going to do in the next 20 minutes, but we'll do as many as we can. All right, Krishna has a quality of beauty. How can we see this world as a manifestation, as the form, not just a manifestation, the form of the Lord's qualities of beauty? Some idea? A peacock. Yeah, that's very nice. In our um, in Villa Vrindavan, we have peacocks in the old Detroit. We used to have in the Detroit Temple. I don't know if they still have peacocks. Do they still have peacocks in Detroit? I've been there for a long time. So the peacocks, yes. Okay, yeah. Nature. Okay, tell me something about it. That's too vague. Give me some. The forest, just like here. Most days I go for a walk down the road, and the the forest, the fields, the cows. Okay. Another way in which, in which the cosmic manifestation is the form of the Lord's quality of beauty. Yes. Yeah, nature, the colors, the sky how it changes, how it dresses up, and it's like it's uh, saluting or the, the creation all the time. It's, it's like a piece of art. It is a piece of art. I mean, what abstract artist can do something that rivals the sky? 
And then, of course, you look at the sky, especially in the evening and the morning, and there's this beautiful dark blue color combined with this red color. How can you not think of Krishna's lotus feet and Krishna's lotus hands looking at the sky? And we have, uh, where in the Bhagavatam is there a description of the beauty of nature compared to uh, various philosophical points? Yeah, the description of autumn, and of course, uh, very early on, Srila Prabhupada wrote an extensive book on this, The Light of the Bhagavata, and he wanted this, which finally got done, I think by Tamar Krishnamarsh, yeah, that, that uh, Prabhupada wanted Oriental artists to illustrate each of these conceptions. Okay, here's this thing in nature. Here's the clouds with lightning. Here's the paddy fields full of water. Here's them drying up. Here's the crops. <coughs> Croaking, croaking, and this reminds us of some aspect of Krishna's quality, some beauty of Krishna, or some philosophy also. That these things in nature remind us of something philosophical, which takes us to um, that Krishna is a genius. So that Prabhupada talks about that even if you've had no education, just by looking at nature, you can understand something of philosophy. So that's in description of autumn. And there's another place in the Bhagavatam where there's a whole chapter, really you could say two chapters, about how nature reminds us of Krishna's philosophy, how we can see Krishna's genius in nature. Anybody know where that is? Fifth canto. Start the first word is forest. Yes, the forest of material enjoyment. So there, Jed Bharata is explaining to Maharaja he's taking all these things in nature. There's this mountain, there's owls, there's mosquitoes, there's a cave, there's a... Right? And in fact, we're just about to come to a place in this Leela where Narada Muni does this with the... I can't remember what the Haryasvas, the, what they're called, the, the 10,000 sons of Daksha. And where he, what he does... It's so amazing, right, where he says, uh, he says, there's a kingdom where only one man lives, there's a hole from which having entered no one emerges, there's a river flowing in both directions, a wonderful home of 25 elements, a swan that vibrates various sounds. I mean, he just, he gives all these things from nature. And the sons of Daksha, they so much relate to this that Narada Muni doesn't even have to explain the metaphor. They just go, okay, I'm going to surrender to Krishna. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's all. Narada Muni just says, there's this thing and this thing. and they, Okay, there we go. So what else in nature reminds us of Krishna's genius? Yes? How is the capacity in the human beings? The capacity in the human beings, which of course Krishna also says that that's him. He says on the ability in human beings. So... Yeah, the human capacity is pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, what we're able to build, spaceships, satellites, cities, complicated systems of communication and and electronics and and water and food production. I mean, that's... Prabhupada talks about this with Jambavan in the fight between Krishna and Jambavan where Jambavan is glorifying the Lord and saying people glorify the brain of an intelligent person. Why don't they glorify the creator of the brain of an intelligent person? Mm -hmm. Prabhupada said, they glorify the scientists. Why don't they glorify the, the creator of the scientists? So when we're seeing all oh, these scientists create so many... And they do create wonderful things. I mean, it's a fact. Refrigerators and computers and microphones and jet airplanes, and penicillin. And these are all wonderful things, undoubtedly. Uh, but uh, these are really the form of Krishna's genius. Because what scientists or group of scientists have any genius without Krishna? Can you have any genius without Krishna? One stroke and all your genius is finished. Isn't that a fact? One car accident, your genius is finished. So we see the Krishna's genius in that. Any other way we see Krishna's genius in the world? Yes? That's amazing about the planets. Prabhupada talks about in the Bhagavad Gita how just like you hold a handful of dust and it stays, but when you let go it scatters. And the Krishna's holding each of the planets. 
You know, so I fly a lot. I mean, not by mystic power in airplanes. <laughs> I wanted to be thinking. And, and when you go on planes, you know, they advertise the most on-time airline. You know, certain airlines. Were the mo- but they're never perfectly on time. All the time. It just doesn't happen. You know, they have all these complicated systems. I mean, just recently when I went to India... You know, we're there at the Libyana airport and the Turkish Airlines is flights delayed, flights delayed, flights delayed. No information, no information, no information, no information. Finally, they said, okay, we're going to reroute you on another airline, which ended up giving me an extra 4,000 miles. Thank you, Krishna. But anyway, and, 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 it, and put me in, I ended up meeting three different devotees on the rerouted flight. But my point is, they're not that together, are they? Their flights are canceled, they're delayed, they're rerouted. There's some mechanical failure. Sometimes they crash. But does that happen with the sun and the moon? I mean, you know, do you ever they turn on the, the weather, you know, the, turned on the weather channel, and they say, uh, we're very sorry, but the sun has been delayed this morning. We're not sure when it's going to rise. Please check the board for further announcements. You know, it, it doesn't happen. And, and everything you can say when the planets are going to move thousands of years in advance by this one Indian scientist who looked in the Mahabharata at the different astrological, astronomical references and was thereby able, of course Sadaputipu also did this, was thereby able to date when did the Kurukshetra War take place because this particular, well how did they do that? Because the planets are very reliable. So that's certainly genius. I mean with all of our combined human genius we cannot make machines that are reliable to that extent. And we'd, we'd like to. I mean, if the airlines could be totally reliable, they'd make a lot more money. So they're very motivated to do that. Another example uh, I once read was that the two hemispheres of the brain are not as competent as the two breasts of a woman to produce proper milk. And Prabhupada talks about how milk production is a mystic power. And you think about that, if you could transform cow milk to human milk, you'd become a billionaire. So you have a lot of very highly motivated people working in that industry. How are we going to turn cow milk into human milk? And they can't do it. They can't do it. I was reading recently how that a mother's milk is different depending on whether she has a male or a female child. That the hormonal milk mix in the milk changes. So Krishna is such a genius, you know, the whale baby is gaining 200 pounds a day. How many kilograms is that? I'm not sure. Probably like 80. You know, and, and that's, it has a particular different content. So Krishna arranges that each animal has the perfect milk or brings the perfect food for its babies. So what a genius. You know, we can't do that. We can't arrange that everyone has the perfect food that's exactly suitable for them. What doctor, even a good Ayurvedic doctor is going to be able to tell you exactly. I recently saw an Ayurvedic doctor, a very good doctor, in South Africa, and he said, so don't eat anything that's hard, only soft. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, like chapatis, they're soft. And I was thinking, I wouldn't have thought of a chapati as soft. I said, well, how exactly do I know? And he said, well, you can try and see what works. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, they're not able to give you absolutely this is going to work. Prabhupada would always talk about that. The doctors, maybe this will work. Take this pill. Maybe it'll work. Hopefully. Right? But Krishna arranges exactly the right kind of food, the right kind of environment. Okay, what else should we take here? Oh, well, we can segue easily here. Mystic perfections. One of Krishna's qualities is mystic perfections. So that's pretty mystical. Anybody know how their hair is growing? Right? How, how does a baby form in the womb? I mean, that's mystical. Or in an egg. You, know, you see a bird's egg, it, if it drops, it just, it's just a bunch of liquid, right? Mm. Like basically a bunch of like mucus and a yolk. How does it become a, a baby bird with bones and feathers? Or the caterpillar that goes into the chrysalis. And you know, in the chrysalis, the, the caterpillar's body becomes liquid. Did you know that? goes into the chrysalis and the whole body of the caterpillar disintegrates into liquid and then it reforms as a butterfly. Any other examples of mystic qualities? Yes? The seed. The seed. 
the banyan tree and the seed. Of course, there's that famous story of Narada. It's one of our children's books. Narada and the cobbler. So Narada comes to earth and he's playing his vena and walking around. And he sees one cobbler. In Vedic society, the cobbler is considered very low class because they're dealing with leather. They come to collect the dead body of the cow and they cut it up and they're dealing with all the flesh and the, you know, they're making leather and so they're very low class. But this cobbler was a Vaishnava. And so he's saying, oh, Narada, how are you doing? Oh, very good. Where are you going? I'm going to Vaikuntha. Oh, how is the Lord? Tell me how the Lord's doing. Okay. So then Narada sees this one Brahmana. Om Swan. Oh, Narada, what are you doing? I'm going to Vaikuntha. Oh, let me know when I'm going to go there too. I want to know when I'm going to be liberated. Okay. So Narada goes to Vaikuntha. And the Lord says to him, so you tell this Brahmana, I don't know when he's going to be liberated. That's what Prabhupada tells us. I don't know. Many births, maybe as many as there are leaves on a tree, but I don't even know when he's coming. And the cobbler, oh, this life he's coming. And Narada said, well, how will they believe me? He said, well, you just tell them that I was putting an elephant through the eye of a needle when you see them. So Narada comes uh, back to earth and he sees the Brahmana so, did you see Vishnu? Yes. What did he say? When am I going to be liberated? <laughs> and Narada said, well, he, he said he didn't know. He said, it might take a long time. I mean, as many as there are leaves on the street. And the Brahma's like, that's nonsense. You didn't see Lord Vishnu? I don't believe you. How do I know you saw Lord Vishnu? What was he doing? Oh, he was putting an elephant through the eye of a needle. I told you you didn't see him. I knew it. Right? And Narada was really astonished. Right? And he goes, he goes then to the cobbler. Oh, Narada, so nice to see you. Where have you been? I saw Lord Vishnu. Oh, what was he doing? You see the little emphasis of the interest of the two people. <laughs> One was interested in their own liberation. One was interested in the Lord's Leela. Oh, he was putting an elephant through the eye of a needle. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. You believe me? Why not? said, inside this one seed, there's a whole tree. And inside that tree, there's so many seeds. And in every seed, there's so many trees. <clears throat> oh, Narada said, and by the way, you'll be liberated at the end of this life. Oh, my Lord is so merciful. I mean, this reminds us, of course, of the Ekopisorichaitam Jagadandakoti, Yajchaktirasti Jagadandachayayadanta, Dantarastaparamanu Chayantarasta. Right now, some of, uh, in our devotee academic scholars group, we're having a discussion of a chintaveda beta tattva. So Sadaputta would like to give this sloka from the Brahma Samhita as a good example of a chintaveda beta tattva. I think we've talked about this before. Ekopisorachaitam jagadandakoti. So jagadandakoti, the whole universe is within Krishna. Like Madhya Soda, she looks within Krishna's belly and she sees the universe. So everybody got that picture? You got that? The whole universe is So paramanu, anu means small, paramanu, very, very small. Anta, it's within. So Krishna is within the atom. Okay, so here's the whole universe within Krishna. So you're looking in Krishna's mouth, and there's the universe. But within every atom of the universe, there's Krishna. And within every Krishna, that's within every atom, there's the universe. And within every atom of the universe that's within. <laughs> but that's like what Krishna does with the seed, isn't it? So, therefore, the form of the Lord's qualities, the entire cosmic manifestation is described herein as Guna Vigraha, the form of the Lord's qualities. So, we see this mystic nature of the Lord in these things like seeds. Another interesting thing about a seed, of course, is the same like the idea of the caterpillar going in the chrysalis and it. it dissolves first. So for a seed to grow, it has to break apart. It looks like total destruction for the seed to start growing, put out the roots. All right, let's think of something else here. Um, Forbearing. Krishna has a quality of forbearing. How can we see the world as a manifestation or as the form? I keep saying manifestation, probably it's just form. How can we see the cosmic manifestation as the form of the Lord's forbearance. 
our own, okay, our own ability to be tolerant, to be forgiving. Very nice, yes. Mother Earth, how much does she tolerate? She really tolerates a lot. I, mean, I don't think any of us would tolerate that much. You know, she gets drilled into and her oil pumped out. Prabhupada says in the second canto that it was the pumping out of the oil that off- offset the Earth's balance in the story of Lord Varaha. Yeah. Yeah, so the whole world is, everything is made to facilitate our sinful desires. So we don't generally do that. You know, who here has ever had somebody in their life who tried to hurt them? Anybody here? Has somebody tried to hurt you? Anybody? Okay. Would you give them a whole world? Would you make a world for them? Oh, you'd get, try to get rid of them, exactly. But I mean, would you, you wouldn't make a whole playground for them according to their desires. You wouldn't say, all right. Let me manifest a whole world for you that you can enjoy however you like. Would we do that? No, we wouldn't do that. And I give the example a lot that in an ordinary prison house, the prisoners don't get flowers. I don't know of any government that puts flowers in the prison. You ever heard of that? Government that puts flowers in the prison? Or so many different kinds of food. Like yesterday, we had that feast. Could anybody eat everything there? So we get more food than we can eat. More varieties of food. We don't just get apples. We get apples and pears and peaches and tangerines and oranges and bananas. And, and then we get kinds of bananas and kinds of apples. The first time I went to Trinidad, and you know they gave me a gift of an apple. I get off the plane. Oh, we really got a special gift for you. Opening up this box, and there's an apple, all carefully packaged. Because in Trinidad, they can't grow apples. So it's, it's a delicacy, very expensive delicacy. And it was a red delicious apple, which is the most common thing you see in the West. You know? <laughs> one of the most common fruits and one of the most common kinds. And I said, oh, I was expecting mangoes. And she said, oh, the mangoes were rotting on the side of the street. (laughs) But what was interesting to me is I said to her, you know, we also have different kinds of apples. She said, oh, really? I didn't know that. And then she told me, we have different kinds of mangoes. She said, we have 40 different kinds of mangoes. I go, oh, I didn't know that. You know, I got a whole education. So kinds of kinds, kinds of mangoes, kinds of apples, kinds of pears, kinds of bananas. So how forbearing is that? How tolerant is that? That someone is, is uh, the example Rupa Goswami gives of forbearance of Krishna's qualities is Shishupal, but Shishupal is insulting Krishna over and over and over and over and over again, and Krishna is not, just not disturbed. And we see the cosmic manifestation, not only Krishna is not disturbed, but he's providing abundantly. It's not that the sun only shines on devotees. The sun shines on the atheists. Krishna gives intelligence even to the people who, you know, oh, you want to deny me? Okay, here's the intelligence how to deny me. You want to say I don't exist? Here's the intelligence to come up with a whole philosophy of evolution so you can believe I don't exist. Would any of us do that? Would any of us be that forbearing? I don't think so. Okay. Um, Fluent, that Krishna is fluent. He can speak all the languages, even of the animals. Where do we see that? How do we see Krishna's fluency? Google Translate. Google Google Translate. (laughs) You know, I really like that. I really like that. Because the whole point of this discussion is how we can understand our life, how we can understand everything in our life as the form of the Lord's qualities. You know, sometimes we tend to take things like computers and internet as, well, this is Maya and somehow or other, because we're so fallen, we're trying to engage it in Krishna's service. But this includes Google Translate. Very nice. Thank you. That was very nice. I like that. That was actually wonderful. Yes? It gives to science the capacity to speak to animals. Like San Francisco. With oh, we see the persons who have that facility, like St. Francis. Very nice. 
Yes. Let's see the majority of living entities, they have this ability to understand animals and to study them and speaking with them. That how people can Any other thoughts? How we see Krishna's quality of being fluent? How the world has that form? Yeah? That computers can talk to each other. That computers can talk to each other. That's really amazing. I mean, that is actually amazing. That Krishna can communicate with anybody. Yeah. I was thinking also about all the different languages in the world. There's such a, you know, the languages of all the animals, the languages of all. We see the fact of Krishna's fluency. It takes the form of all the varieties of language. And I just read some research that when people are bilingual or multilingual, that when they speak their different languages, they manifest different aspects of their personality, which is really fascinating. The same person, when they speak in French, they act, they, they act a little bit differently than when they're speaking in Portuguese, for example. The same person. In the same day, in the same, they'll ask them, the researchers will ask the same question in French that they'll ask in Portuguese, and the same person at the same time with the same researcher will give quite a different answer. Their answer will, will, will change culturally depending on what language that they're using. And, I mean, one of the things, uh, I've, I've done a lot of, a lot of the study that I've done in, in communication and counseling has also been a study of language and how our, um, our beliefs and our paradigms are expressed through language and how language changes our paradigms. You know, I've heard a lot of people making fun of the, the GBC resolution about what to call women. And I, but I said, but it matters. What you call people matters. Otherwise, we wouldn't argue about it. It makes a difference. It, it both creates your paradigm and it expresses your paradigm. So we have all this variety of language and the different types of language affects our consciousness. It expresses our consciousness and it affects our consciousness. One of the main things that you do in counseling is you reframe a person's language. You, know, you, you just simply change the way that a person is, is, is using language to express things, and immediately they can shift to a different paradigm of understanding. It's quite fascinating. And this power of, of language to shape our, our thoughts and to express our thoughts. Of course, this is also one of Krishna's qualities of being Kavi, of being a poet, which is additionally quality of a devotee. Here we think, my mother had a, a song that she used to sing all the time. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. And that, that not only is the world full of the variety of language, but the world's also full of the variety of poetry. And we see, these, we see the sunset and the trees and the peacocks not only as beauty, but as poetry. There was also a famous poem about a tiger, how that the, the tiger, as a tiger walks, it's like the actual form of a poem. And we have, of course, Krishna has different gates. One gate is like an elephant. Krishna is often compared to walking like an elephant. So there's various types of gates. Uh, this is also in the song, Madharadipati Akilam Madharam, that Krishna's gate is sweet, his way of walking. And we see Krishna's poetic quality. So we could do many, 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 many more, which we didn't get time to do. But I had written down, looking at strong and truthful and controlled by love and, and artistic and and opulent and grateful. That would be interesting to meditate on how the, the cosmic manifestation is the form of, of gratitude and equilibrium. So I wanted to, to read this from Srila Prabhupada. This is, I read a little bit at the beginning. This is from the Nectar Devotion Lecture in Vrindavan, October 17, 1972. Prabhupada says, So the so-called sannyasi, Brahma Satya Jagan Mitya, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, these Brahma-satyam-jagam-mitya, jagat is not mitya. To the Vaishnavas, to the devotees, we cannot accept that this jagat, this world, is false. No, how can it be false? Suppose you enter in a very beautiful garden, very nicely trees, so many nice flowers, building, everything is, they are nice. The proprietor of the garden takes you to show you. And if you say, oh, it's all mitya, it's all false then how much depressed he becomes. Just see. I brought this friend to show the beauty of this garden, and he says it is mitya or false. Similarly, we won't want to depress Krishna. That is not our business. 
Krishna has created this nice world. Everything is very nice. The sun is rising just in exact time. It is setting in exact time. The moon is rising. The seasons are changing. And we are getting nice food, nice fruit, nice flowers. So we are not so, I mean to say, depressing agent. We won't discourage Krishna. Why? Krishna has created this nice world. How can I say it is mitya? It is the byproduct of Krishna's energy. So Krishna's energy cannot be false. It is eternal. Krishna is eternal. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, this material world, There are eight kinds of separated energy of me, Krishna. So Krishna's energy. Krishna's truth. So Krishna's energy is also truth. Because from truth, false cannot come. If Krishna's truth, this energy is also truth. But it is not false. Therefore, we do not accept this Mayavadi theory that the world is false, Jagamitya. We say that Brahman is Satya, and this world is also Satya. The difference is that a devotee relishes a particular type of mellow, rasa, in this material world. But the, those who are not devotees, they do not feel any relish from this material world. They feel for some time. But when it becomes stale in their taste, they say it is false. Just like the same example, the jackal first of all tried to get the grapes, jumping, jumping, and when it was failure, he said, oh, the grapes are sour, I don't require. So except devotee, the non-devotees, the karmis, ganis, yogis, they actually do not relish the sweetness of the creation of Krishna. In that song, Madharati Patera Kilam Madharam, so it's talking about, anybody remember the list? Madharam, Madharam. Any of the list of what's sweet about Krishna? What? Many speeches. Many. Can you remember any of them specifically? His yeah. smile. His smile, yes. Yeah. His eyes. His eyes. His flute. His gopis, his gopas, his stick, his way of walking, his gait, the river Jamuna, the lotuses in the Jamuna, his pastimes, his tilak. And you know how it ends? His creation. His creation. So uh, we are, we are, we are. It's interesting when sociologists analyze new religious movements or cults or sects or whatever term you want to put on this. They talk about world denying and world affirming. Yes, right. You know about this. So what are we? Are we world denying or world affirming? We don't fit into their boxes, do we? Sometimes we act like we're world denying. Do kalayamasasvatam. <coughs> Alayam. It's an alayam of dukkha. You know, it's like if you want to go to the hardware store, the store of hardware, this gasoline station. So this is the misery station, dukalayam. And it's temporary even then. But that's only if you see it as separate from Krishna. It's not intrinsically miserable. A couple of visits ago, I think it was in Mayapur, Bhavananda was, was sitting outside the conch building, and he says hello to me, and, and some devotees were there. And he said, do you know what Prabhupada said my name means? And we're like, no, what does it mean? He said, well, Prabhupada, we were talking, Prabhupada was walking, we were talking, and Prabhupada looked at me and said, do you know what Bhavananda means? And I said, yeah, it means bhava, you know, emotion, love for Krishna, ananda, the bliss of bhava. Prabhupada said, no, it means bhavananda. It means the bliss of serving Krishna in the material world. He said, there is nothing sweeter than preaching in the material world. So it really struck me. I was like, whoa! <laughs> so we're not trying to enjoy the world separately from Krishna. You know, we're not an organization that says, worship Krishna and become rich. I mean, there's lots of places like that in the Bhagavatam, of course. There's just a finishing reading the section with Diti where she performs the yagya to get a, a son who will kill Indra and instead she gets the Maruts who are friends of Indra. You know, at the end it says, if you're unfortunate and you do this yagya, you'll become fortunate, you'll have many. If your children have all died, you'll get long-lived children. If you're poor, you'll become rich. If you're sick, you'll become healthy. You know, and, and you'll go back to Godhead. Uh, so we have those sort of benedictions. But we don't generally preach, we don't generally preach, you know, come to Krishna, Krishna, please give me a nice house by the sea and then $10 million in the bank and, you know, a beautiful wife who'll tell me what a hero I am when I come home. So we don't generally 
pray to Krishna for that. So we're not world-affirming religions in that sense that we say that God has put us here to enjoy separately from him because you can't enjoy separately from him. It's impossible. As soon as you try to do that, there's no rust at all. A little bit in the beginning, but it's not really rasa. Nor are we world-denying that we say the world is false and the world is, is, is just a piece of garbage and we're just doing tapasya here. How interesting, because Krishna started out here, tapo me ridayam. But after saying tapo me ridayam, tapasya is my heart, then he also says, aham me great. I was here before and I'm the only one who's here now too. But what is the tapasya that you do? The tapasya you do is to connect the world with Krishna, which we're a conditioned soul, is big tapasya. That's intense tapasya. That this world isn't my playground. It isn't my property. It isn't mine to enjoy separate from Krishna. Oh, here I am. Let me enjoy it. <laughs> like the, the woman who meets Paranjana, the personification of material intelligence who meets Paranjana. And Paranjana says, so who are you and how did you get here? And she says, oh, I have no idea. And who are those? Who's that snake and all those servants following you? Well, I don't know who they are. But, you know, here we are and we're young. Let's enjoy this beautiful garden in which we find ourselves. So that's what we have to give up. We have to give up this sense that this is my body to enjoy and my sunset to enjoy and my peacock to enjoy and my food to enjoy and my 40 kinds of mangoes to enjoy and my Google Translate to enjoy and that all these things are here for me to enjoy that I'm the proprietor and I'm the center and God, who's God? Oh, well, yeah, maybe there's a God. And maybe I'll go on Sunday or on Easter or sometime and how high God, you know, would you give me some more things for me to enjoy? Oh, glory, 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 glory to you. <laughs> okay, bye, God. You know, that, that, that's, that's not our mentality, that our mentality should be that the entire cosmic manifestation is described here in his guna vigraha, the form of the Lord qualities, the form of the Lord's qualities. And when we do that, then we're always meditating on the form of the Lord, and when we're always meditating on the form of the Lord, uh, that meditation should become more and more emotionally intense. As that meditation becomes more and more intense, then we fall in love with Krishna. And then we see not only the cosmic manifestation as the form of the Lord's qualities, but we see the Lord's qualities directly. Aham eva eva We see the aham, the person. Just like you collect art, and you're not just interested in the art, you're interested in the painter. Yes? The painter. <coughs> interested in the painter. So we're not just interested in the genius and the fluent, but we're interested in the genius. Who is the genius? Who is the beauty from whom all the beauty has come? Who is this person who is so forbearing and so grateful and so full of genius? So that is Krishna consciousness. And when we act like that, whether it's Daksha who's you know, populating the universe, whatever it is we're doing, which is, uh, you know, the details are not really terribly important. But whatever it is that we're doing in the Lord's service, then we become connected with him. And then we meet him face to face. And he shakes hands with us. Well done, good and faithful servant, which is then the perfection of our life. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes? Uh, I like this, this that you have turned around and have, uh, tried to find Krishna's qualities. Uh, at the same time, the biggest reason for, for people to kind of reject the, you know, the there is a God is because of wars and killings and all kinds of nonsense going on, which is difficult for for them to see that that is you know, that is also God. Mm. So people may have tr- trouble seeing the the evil and the war and the so of of the twelve rasas, Prabhupada says that we relish rasa in the material world. There's also a ghastly rasa, there's a vibatsu rasa. There's a ghastly rasa. And if you don't think people enjoy ghastly rasas, then just go look at what movies are playing right now in the world. Do people watch a, a 
what is it, uh, apocalyptic movies? Movies of the apocalypse? How do you say that? Apocalypse? Apocalypse, thank you. Apocalyptic movies. Do they enjoy that? Do, they, do these movies, movies gross millions or billions of dollars? See how the world's ending. And people are enjoying that. What? America's leading the world in creating such movies or in destroying the world? <laughs> yeah, we went to a conference, ecological conference put on by the Hungarian Yatra many years ago uh, in Budapest. And there were several speakers that were blaming Americans for destroying the ecology of the world. And I'm kind of going down in my seat, you know, with the many other Americans here. But there are people like this. That's a pleasure. That's also God's qualities. Krishna says, I'm the beginning, the middle, and also the end of all things. I am the generating seed of all existences, and I am also death personified. That's also rasa. If you ever around little children, right? You have children? So when they're little, what do they enjoy doing? Right? You're sitting with them, and you're building a little tower out of blocks. Wait, just wait, don't knock it over yet! <laughs> and then they knock it over, and they laugh, and they so that's also rasa. And there's rasas of fear. There's rasas of anger. So there's, gas, there's rasas of gassiness and fear and anger. And if you see that, you know, you see, here's the unit, we're talking about the universal form, actually. So if you see the universal form, all the soldiers are running into the mouths of the Lord. And all of this destruction is really part of the, the Lord's fairness. And that's one of his qualities, equilibrium. We didn't discuss that, equilibrium that Krishna is going to put everything in equilibrium. The war, the famine, the violence, it's all actually to create equilibrium because it's all happening in, in, with perfect justice. Of course, we don't believe that when it happens to us. We only believe it when it happens to other people uh, because we all believe that we're wonderful, innocent victims of whatever happens to us. But actually, all of that is creating equilibrium and balance in the world. That whatever whatever harm somebody does comes back to them and again creates balance and creates justice and creates fairness. So that's also, we can see the intelligence of God in that. Yes? Um, when the Pope was on the beach with disciples, and one of his disciples said, oh, look at the sun, sunset, sunrise. No? And uh, Pope said, I don't want to see because I don't want to be attached. I don't want to come back to this metaphor. Well, Prabhupada said, if you're attached to this, again, it's are you attached to enjoying it? Like Bhakti Sarab Dhamadar Maharaj asked Prabhupada, uh, you know, about going to Vaikunda, about giving prasadam, starting by giving prasadam maybe to animals. And Prabhupada said, if you give them some prasadam, they'll take a very good birth. And they said, oh, these, I think it was ducks, I don't remember the details anymore, that we're feeding them every day. Prabhupada said, oh, they will go back to God. And, oh, just by eating prasadam, we can go back to God? And Prabhupada says, yes. But then he said, but if you're attached to one sweet ball, you have to come back. So it's a question of whether, of how, whether you're thinking that you're enjoying separately from Krishna. If you're seeing, okay, this is something for my sense gratification, whether it's a sunset, whether it's a sweet ball, it can be something very insignificant. But if you're thinking, it's just like there are some scientists that study, you know, what are the mating patterns of the red-footed crab that live in the river in Uganda, right? So you're attached to even some little thing then you, for your own pleasure. But if you see everything as Krishna, then Premanjana Charita Bhakti Vilochanena Santasa Daivamadaya Shirilokayanti Yamshayama Sundaram Chinchivinasura Pramisikrishna. There's also a, a funny conversation in, uh, in India where Prabhupada was talking about the beauty of the Bengali women. Prabhupada started the he started talking, he was talking about how the, they have black hair and black eyes and they're so beautiful. And one of the devotees said, well, Prabhupada, well, Krishna has dark hair and dark eyes. And Prabhupada said, oh, in this mundane conversation, you are bringing Krishna? Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Prabhupada was praising him. Oh, you have brought in Krishna. <laughs> yes, Prabhupada. Oh my. How, how does 
uh, I guess our paradigms are not quite right. Right? And the Bhagavatam says that he shook his hand. Now, I don't know if he shook his hand exactly, you know, there's all different ways of shaking hands. I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, I really don't know. As Prabhupada wrote Dekiani, I guess you have to go back to Godhead and see for yourself how they shake exactly what's their handshaking method in Vaikuntha, you know. But, I mean, even in this world, we have some of them go like this, right? And now there's this, <laughs> all different handshaking techniques. So it, it, wasn't, it wasn't explicitly stated, if you go to that verse, it's not explicitly stated, what was the handshaking technique that the Lord used? But somehow, Prabhupada translated as he shook his head. Satisfaction. So I'm not really sure you know, how it was. How it was the, I guess we'll find out. Thank you very much. Shiva Prabhupada Ki.